Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. The Lord said to me, now this seems strange. He said that he was going to bend us. Now, I don't understand everything he says or why he says it. But he's going to bend us in his glory. (laughs) Whatever that means. He's going to bend us. And I can see myself. See, the anointing is weighty. It's heavy. when, When it gets on you. And it was kind of like we'd be bowed over in his presence. I remember seeing one time I was preaching under a, a very strong anointing. I wasn't preaching about the end times or anything to do with that. But suddenly the audience that I was speaking to seemed to disappear. And I was still preaching. I was still standing in the pulpit. I hadn't left. But I was having a vision. And I knew what I was seeing I believed what I was seeing. I'm human and can miss it, so you, you judge everything, you know. Everything needs to be judged. But I believed that I was seeing the rapture of the church. And it startled me because it wasn't like that I had heard. It wasn't like that I had been taught, not in a, a bad way, you know, but... I'd always heard that it would be cataclysmic, you know, buses running off cliffs, airplanes falling out of the sky, and things like that. But what I saw was different. Now, listen, I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just saying what I saw. But what I saw is that that the second coming or second advent of Jesus would happen in three particular phases. It Because... Uh, and, and I'd never seen this before. But it'd be three steps, three phases that would bring, well, put, us, put it like this, Jesus actually coming back to earth the second time. It'd be three phases. Because he's already been here. But he's coming back. Because he said he was coming to the Mount of Olives. Isn't that right? And he was going to stand upon those mountains. In fact, I was there in Israel in that area where they say that he's, he's coming back to, you know. But what I saw is I saw a mighty outpouring of the Spirit of God in this experience I was having while I was preaching. I saw an outpouring of the Spirit of God like I'd never seen or known. And then I understood that there must be, we was talking about this today, there must be, and that's not why I'm saying it now, <laughs> but uh, there must be an outpouring of the Spirit of God like we have never seen or known. And we do believe it'll be worldwide, right? Do believe it'll be worldwide. But I'd always thought that this outpouring was for the world. I'd always thought that that's what it was just all about. This major outpouring was just to bring in the harvest. But in this vision and revelation that I had, I saw and perceived it to be different than what I had thought up to that point. I saw that the reason for the outpouring of the Spirit of God, this mighty deluge, that's what Dad Hagen called it, 
fact, he called it that at uh, Pastor Stan Moore's church in North Miami Beach, Florida, when he come walking down off that platform. He said, it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. A mighty deluge of God's power. A mighty outpouring of God's spirit. And I'm sure your pastors were sitting right there in that service when he come down off that platform and said that. But what I saw about the outpouring of the Spirit, like I said, I always thought it was just for the benefit of the lost. But what the Lord showed me, the reason for the outpouring of the Spirit of God, number one, was to get the church ready to meet Him because many in the church are not ready to meet Him today. Just because you're sitting in a church pew, and I'm not just talking to you, you understand, but I'm talking to the church world as a whole. Just because we're sitting in a church and that we attend faithfully, which we should, and do the things we do, doesn't mean that we're in love with Jesus like we should be. Remember, Jesus talked to the churches in Revelations, and he told that church, he said, you have left your first love. Isn't that right? And so it's, it's, you can be a Christian and be more in love with the world and things that's going on around you than you are Jesus. And so he showed me that that major outpouring, the first purpose and foremost purpose of that outpouring was get the church ready to meet him. He wanted them to experience his glory. And the anointing would come on him. And the church would get excited about Jesus again. About his outpouring. They'd start looking for the second coming. They'd desire Jesus more than anything else on this planet. They'd fall in love with God and the anointing would come on them in a supernatural way. So in that first step of the outpouring of the Spirit of God, the second part of that, the B part, you'd say that the A part, the outpouring reaching the church, getting the church ready to meet Him, but the B part of that outpouring was the church would then be in a position to reach this lost and dying world. In other words, because in the position that the church is in as a whole today, it's like that we don't have the authority that we put it in. We don't have the power and the anointing that we should to knock some of these devils loose that are controlling people, not only in our nation, but in the nations of the earth. And that we do see a sprinkling of God's power and God's glory, but we're going to see it to that degree. So there'd be three phases what I saw. The first would be an outpouring of the Spirit of God like we'd never seen or known. And the A part of that was to get the church ready to meet the Lord Jesus Christ. And then from that, uh, then uh, the church would be able to reach the B part of that, would fall in love with Jesus, and then we would go reach the lost and dying and the miracles and signs and wonders because Jesus said he's coming back for a glorious church. And if he's coming back for a glorious church, then undoubtedly you and I have to become glorious. I'm telling you, there's a hunger inside of me that God has been stirring up inside of me. Even today, I found myself praying in the Spirit, and I'd pray out this. uh, Lord, not perspiration, but inspiration. Lord, not perspiration, but inspiration. In other words, you can work your way into something and press your way into something and just go through Christianity drudgery all the time. Oh, i got to go to church again. What have I got to do? If I don't go, they're going to come get me. Yes, I will. I'll come. Hunting you, but anyway, people, you know, are just serving God out of a duty instead of out of love. You understand? And I'm not getting on anybody. I'm just telling you, God wants you in love with Him because He loves you. And I saw that that would be the outpouring of the Spirit to bring the church in love with Him, and then the church would love God so much they could reach the world. 
And then that would bring us to 1 Corinthians 15. The second part of it was 2 Corinthians 15 to the, to the second coming of Jesus. It would bring us to 1 Corinthians 15. And you remember what you taught me was in 1 Corinthians 15. You remember that, what you told me? You, you remember what it was? It says this mortal must take on immortality. Isn't that right? And we're going to be changed in the twinkling of an eye. In other words, to go into the rapture, we first must be changed. So the reason for the outpouring of the glory is to bring us up to 1 Corinthians 15. And it's going to take the power of God that's going to take this physical body that I've got right now and change it and give me a body like Jesus had when he rose from the dead. In fact, it seems like I'm about to change now. <laughs> I'm telling you, the power of God is here. I'm telling you the truth about it. But it's going to change us. And this physical body is going to be changed in the twinkling of an eye. And this glory is going to come on us. And I'd always just heard that the rapture is going to be, you know, at a moment nobody's going to know what's going to happen, you know. And the Bible does say no man knows the day or the hour. But you want me tonight, I know, to tell you the day and hour that he's coming. So I'm going to. said, when is Jesus coming? Jesus is coming in 2022 or after 2022. <laughs> I wanted to get your attention then because I, he can come when he wants to. You know what I mean? But I believe that that's going to happen. It's going to bring us to that place. And I saw this, that when we get to 1 Corinthians 15, people are going to be so in love with God and the anointing is going to be so strong upon us that I saw people in the spirit when I had this vision and, and got this revelation, I saw people that had been worshiping God for several days and that's all they done. Their physical body was suspended and they were in the spirit. In other words, they had no bodily functions, didn't have to go to the bathroom, didn't have to eat, didn't do anything like that, didn't have to go get a drink of water or nothing. I saw that people would be several days this way. Then I seen others that had been in this situation Situation I knew for over a week and I saw some others that I knew had been there for two or three weeks and some had been there for almost a month and that's all they were doing was worshiping God before Jesus steps out on the clouds of glory and Gabriel said toodaloo you know what I mean and here he comes but I saw people worshiping God and glorifying God we're going to be caught up in the glory on this side before we go on that side and that's why his glory is coming to us in this earth and we're at those days of the great and mighty outpouring of his spirit today and it belongs to you and it belongs to me and we're pressing into it and the devil is not going to stop us in Jesus name we're moving into it and I saw people and you could say and you would think well is it possible was it possible for somebody to actually worship God and that's all they done. All their physical body functions were suspended. What, was it uh, Marie Woodworth Edder that was in the trance? How long was she there? About three days. Isn't that right? Standing there. And I, I think, it, 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 was she kind of like this? Like this? Preaching and all of a sudden fell into a trance, they called it. And she stood that way. And people filed by, by the hundreds and by the thousands, and seen her, all her physical senses, 
and bodily functions were suspended, everybody saw it. The newspaper saw it. All the news people saw it in that day, you know, news media. So it wasn't something that was private that nobody knew about. Everybody knew about it. And I believe it was on the third day, right around there somewhere, she had been preaching a message three days earlier, and all of a sudden she started preaching again, took up right where she had left off. But for three days, she didn't know where she was at. She didn't know what she was doing, but God always knows where you're at. God always knows what you're doing. Also, another good example, Moses went up on the Mount of Transfiguration, Mount of, uh, I got to try to get this right, in honor of Dad Hagen. I've got to say it correctly. Moses went up on Mount Sinai. <laughs> Mount Sinai. That's what Brother Brother Hagen always had a funny way of saying things. You know, I'd, I'd pick it up. But he went up on the Mount Sinai because God called him up, remember, to receive the Ten Commandments. And remember, God gave him the Ten Commandments and he was up there for how long? Forty days. He come back down and they had made the golden calf, you understand, And then he got mad, threw the tablet down, and he went back up there for how long? 40 days. So all of his uh, physical body functions were suspended when he was in God's glory. And I'm here to tell you, that's exactly what is happening to us in this day. So we have the outpouring of the Spirit, which is for what? Number one, to get the church ready to meet the Lord because many people in the church, though they're, they're good people, are not really ready to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. There is a judgment seat of Christ. We're going to be judged for the deeds done in our body and things that the Lord impressed us to do, we're going to be judged. We are, that's what the Bible says. So he wants us, when we get there, to have everything straightened out before we get there. You understand? He wants us to be ready. So that's why the outpouring is taking place, number one, to get the church ready to meet the Lord. And then number two, the church would take that or be of that, would go and reach this lost and dying world. And then the second phase that would happen is that we would come into a place of worshiping God and glorifying God and magnifying God. And it would bring us to that point. These people have been worshiping God and caught up in the glory here. Then all of a sudden, Jesus would step out on the clouds of glory and he would call us home and we would be caught up in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Isn't that right? And then the the third and final phase is when we come back. And this is the second coming of Jesus. When the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel. Isn't that right? He's going to call us up then, but we're going to come back here. If they taught me right, we're going to come back here and rule and reign with him for 1,000 years. Isn't that right? And you know why you're coming back here, and you know why you're going to rule and reign for 1,000 years. You remember, you've already taught me all this. I was flying along in my airplane one day. It was the uh, airplane, this airplane, one before I had and then I got another one now but it's on back there I was flying along on a twin engine airplane it had an autopilot on it I pay him a lot of money to fly while I'm I'm in there you know you have to program him and take teach him what to do and hit the right buttons you know and I was doing a bible study because we give away we have bible studies for 
for those that's in prison, incarcerated things, and we have a little Bible study, just a, a simple one, you know, about 20, 25 lessons. And I was, I was working on a lesson of, of why you need to be born again. And while I was uh, flying along there, uh, the Lord began to speak to me, and he asked me a question in, in the book of, of Genesis. He said, you know, I told Adam in the day that he ate that fruit uh, that he should surely die. I said, yes, Lord, that's what you told him. He said, did he die that day? And I said, well, yes, Lord, like I'd always been taught and believed, you know. Uh, is that, yeah, he died that day uh, spiritually, but later on he died physically. Now the Lord said to me, am I a man that I should lie or the son of man that I should repent? Have I not said it and will I not perform it? He said, when I told Adam that he would die that day, he died that day. And so you know how you and I are, maybe more me than you. We want to know more than God. So turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 5 or somewhere over there. And I don't know how you got me into all this. I didn't even plan on any of this. That's right. And we're going somewhere sometime or another. But anyway, we're stirred up tonight. Genesis. And we're going to see why did Jesus come and why is he coming back and ruling and reigning on earth for a thousand years. In Genesis chapter 5, I wanted to prove to God that uh, Adam did not die that day because what I assumed that God was talking about, that Adam, uh, you know, would die that day. We're talking about a 24-hour day, that he would die that day because God said he died that day. And I'm going to prove to God in the Bible that he did not die that day. And you can too. We can do it right here in the scriptures. And in, in Genesis chapter 5, verse number 5 says this, all the days that Adam lived were what? 930 years, and then what happened? And he died. But God said to him in there in the Garden of Eden, in the day that you eat this fruit thereof, eat this fruit, then you're going to die. Isn't that right? So I showed God right here in the Bible how that he contradicted his own word. You know, we can prove God wrong. We think we can and I proved to him in the word here that Adam did not die that day. You know, and I'm thinking of a 24-hour day because he lived to be 930 years old. And then it goes on to tell how others had lived for a long time. Who is the oldest man that's ever been to live in recorded history that we have a record of? Well, it's in verse number 27. It's Methuselah. It says, in all the days of Methuselah were what? 969 years and he died. Isn't that right? But notice here, God told Adam in the garden, the day that you eat this fruit, you're going to die. So he pronounced a judgment on the human race that would come through Adam. And no man ever lived to be 1,000 years old because one day with the Lord is as a 1,000 years and a 1,000 years is one day. Isn't that what the Bible says? So the reason Jesus is coming back and ruling and reigning here for 1,000 years is to break the judgment that came on the human race so that we can live in eternity forever and ever and ever. Woo! Now, I am not dogmatic about it, as Brother Hagin would say. I'm not even pupmatic about it, as Brother Hagin would say. But I believe that that was a revelation of God to me to show me because I always wondered why did Jesus come for a thousand years and rule and reign like our elders had taught us. 
I, I wasn't against it. I just didn't understand it. But that day I got revelation of it. Ladies and gentlemen, God is moving in a supernatural way today. And one thing that we're entering into in the church world is we're going to enter into more of cooperating with the Holy Ghost. He is our helper. He will come to us and assist us in circumstances and situations in our lives, with our loved ones, with the problems we face and our finances. He's concerned about everything, your health, everything else. So let's turn to Romans chapter 8, just continually following the Holy Ghost uh, and share with you some things tonight that the Spirit of God stirred me up about here is, is the first of this service. Thank God, Jesus is coming. Romans chapter 8, verse number 14. The Bible says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. I want to talk about tonight cooperating with the Spirit of God in prayer. Cooperating with Him, yielding to Him, learning from Him, because He wants to help you and show you things in your life. In fact, many times the Holy Spirit gives us an unction, an inner knowing, an intuition. It's not necessarily Jesus doesn't appear, an angel does not appear to us, but we have this intuition that we need to take some extra time and begin to pray. And if we don't watch it, what we can do is we can disregard that. And if we continually disregard those nudgings from the Lord and those unctions from the Lord, you'll get into what I call a dry place. You don't need a dry place. We got any hunters in here that go hunting? You know, when you're, when you're hunting the big boys, you know what I mean? The deers and everything. When you, he's a hunter now. He, I found out he likes hunting too. But anyway... When you go hunting to get them big boys, in fact, for instance, you know that show that comes on TV called Bigfoot, Hunting for Bigfoot? Listen, any deer hunter is going to tell you they ain't going to never find Bigfoot because you can't even see a big buck the way they do it, walking through the woods where the lights are flashing and jumping up and down and all this kind of stuff and the banging and the clanging and talking, hey, what are you doing over there, Ralph? And all, all that, you ain't going to see nothing. You ain't going to see a big deer. You ain't going to see no bear either. If you got any sense, you ain't going to see it. But anyway, you go out in the woods hunting. And, and, and of course, in the morning early, sometimes there's dew on the leaves. And so the leaves, you can walk quietly. You don't want to break a twig or anything because you're slipping up. You know, you're trying to get in there and try to outsmart these big deer. I'm talking about the big ones. You know what I mean? But you can take it where it's dry. And there hadn't been any rain, there hadn't been any dew on the ground. And when you try to walk across that ground and there's leaves in the, in the woods, uh, you know what's going to happen? Crack, crack every step. And I mean, you're trying just to take just a little step uh, and it's just crack. And them leaves are cracking because it's so dry. Oh, so dead. Well, I'm here to tell you, some people in the spirit are like old dry leaves. When you poke them, they crack. You know what I mean? and they make noise and, and carry on and everything. And so God wants to get us out of a place of cracking 
into a place of impacting the world around us. And the way that's going to happen is through the moving of his spirit and yielding to the Holy Ghost. Because God knows what's going to happen in your life. He knows what's going to happen in my life before I ever get there. And if I will yield to God, and if you will yield to God, you can cooperate with the Holy Ghost because he will show you what to pray, how to pray, and you can pray out the will of God and supernatural miracles will happen and take place. Romans chapter 8, looking at verse number 26. It says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, and one, one uh, thing about that, and you know, it could be a lot of things, but one thing is we don't know how to produce results in prayer, but he comes to help us. It says, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself is what it should be, makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. I want to point something out to you that you already know. He makes intercessions for us, but not apart from us. For us, but not apart from us. In other words, we must cooperate with him. He gives us the words to say. We're praying in other tongues. We may not know what we're saying, but he knows. And if you yield to him, you'll pray out the mind, will, plan, and purpose of God, and it will come to pass. And he says here, because the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So verse 27, reading that its entirety again, he that searches the hearts, which is the Spirit of God, what it knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit. In other words, he knows exactly what you should be praying. He knows the direction you should be going. He knows the solution to your situation. He knows the answer to your question. Because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Now, he don't do it apart from us. He does it through us. In other words, we've got to cooperate with him. And I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. Verse 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. In other words, if we practice verse number 26 and 27, verse 28 is going to come to pass in our life. Things are going to work out for our good in the end. It doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be overnight, but if we stay with it and walk with God, God will lead us into a place of victory and he will show us things to come. I was in Alabama. I think I was preaching in, uh, is his name Pastor Wynn? Is there a Pastor Wynn up there? I think so, somewhere. W-Y-N-N-E. I was preaching at his church, and it was on a, a weekend meeting. I think we had a Friday night, Saturday, Sunday morning, Sunday night. And I got up. I lived in Columbus, Georgia then. You know, now I live in Owasso, Oklahoma. I said, why did you move to Owasso, Oklahoma? Because the name Owasso means turnaround. And it was time for me to turn around. No, that's not why I moved there. But I found that out after I got there. Owasso means turnaround. Why? Because they used to haul cattle by train from Kansas City, Missouri, down to Oklahoma. And it would stop there at the Tulsa area. Owasso is just a northern suburb, you could say, of Tulsa on the northern side. In fact, it's a bustling city now. It's not as big as Tulsa, but it's a bustling city. In fact, the talk of the town is anything you can get in Tulsa, 
you can get in Owasso as far as goods, groceries, stores, you know, things. They got not everything, but a lot of things. You know, there's not a giant mall there or anything, but there's all kind of stuff. But anyway, what happened is the train, the cattle cars, used to come from Kansas City, Missouri, down towards Tulsa, and there is where the track ended. So the trains had to turn around right there because there was no more track that they could go on, and they had to go back to Kansas City. So they called it Owasso, means turn around. So if you want a good turnaround, come to Owasso. I'm telling you. After I got there, I found out that God had me there to get me to turn around. So in Alabama, remember this. I was there. Pastor Wynn, I believe it's W-Y-N-N-E. I was speaking to his church. Monday morning when I got up from speaking, when I got up, I sensed, I don't know how to describe it. I can't tell you exactly how it works, but I sensed death. Well, I started praying in the Spirit. Because I'd had an experience myself, you know, about this earlier, and I really didn't understand it. But uh, you remember Brother Tom down there that fell out in the pulpit? Yeah, yes. I just don't want to, you know, call the last name. You know what I'm talking about. I was with him just uh, a week prior to that, speaking at his church, pastor. And he was kind of a connoisseur of uh, foods. I mean, he knew where the food joints were. And they'd tell Coochie, Kathy, (laughs) he called her Coots. She might slap me if I called her that day. But anyway, (laughs) get Coochie to call and get us into one of these restaurants so he could get, he was a connoisseur of food, you know. He liked these, his food. So me and him went to this restaurant, and it was, uh, I don't know if it's Italian or whatever it was, you know, something. And uh, others were coming, and it had this uh, booth that you had to get in. I'm taking a side journey to get back to the main journey, you know. You know how we do that. We'll get back to the other journey. We're going to take you back to Alabama, but this, this happened in Florida, you know. So I'm taking you two or three states at a time. We can time travel. But anyway, Pastor Tom was there. And there was a booth in there, and and, uh, and you kind of had to slide in, you know, because it was kind of hemmed up on the end, so you had to get in on this end and slide around. And so out of respect for him and honor for him, you know, I, I said, well, uh, Pastor Tom, I said, I'll slide. And he said, oh, no. I said, I said, no, you don't need to be doing all that, you know. He had a, a more of the tote than I did in that day, you know what I mean? And he was a good man, don't get me wrong, but, but uh, I said, I'll do it, so... Anyway, I sat down on on that little booth, you know, and I was going to start my slide in, and he's still talking to me. Oh, this is what we're going to get off. I'm going to order for you. I tell you, I know what they got, boy. This will be good for you. This will make you preach. It it may even make you talk in tongues. I mean, he he was just just going. And I looked up at him. And when I looked up at him just to show him that I'm listening, even though I'm a sliding and watching where I'm going, you know, here, I looked up and I saw a white mask on his face. And the Spirit of God said to me, he said, he'll fall down in his pulpit next Sunday morning. He said, did you tell anybody? I said, no, I didn't tell nobody. In fact, I didn't tell it for years. 
But I realized that death was on him. And you remember that experience? About how he fell down and I think they got down there and got to praying and got him going again. But I saw that. So God can lead us and guide us and direct us. So I woke up, remember, on a Monday morning up there in uh, midwestern Alabama. And I was going to drive back to Columbus, Georgia that day back home because I lived there. Wasn't real far, probably three and a half, no more than four hours, but three and a half, four hours. And so I, I got up and I started driving. That, that sense of death came on me stronger and stronger and stronger. I'm talking about two listening to the Holy Ghost because he will lead you, he will guide you, he will direct you. Well, time I got home, I mean, I had a what the old timers called a burden to pray. I mean, because I yielded to that. And I just started praying in the Spirit all the way. I had full fuel so I didn't have to stop to get any, you know. Back then, you could fill up for, I don't know, maybe what, I don't want to say a tenth of what you can now. But anyway, you didn't, you didn't have to pay a whole lot to get fuel. And so I'm driving back home. By the time I got home and got out of the car and was getting my bags and, and, and you know, and roller case out and everything, going in the house. When I walked in the house, my wife, Patty, took one look at me and said, what in the world's wrong with you? I said, what do you mean? She said, I could just tell something's on you. I said, honey, I said, I don't want to say this, but I sense death. I said, I don't know if it's me. I don't know if it's one of us. I don't know if it's somebody close. I was trying to think of anybody close to me, you know, uh, that, that, that would have this, you know, be on a point of dying. I just couldn't think of nobody. So I went on that day and I, I tried to get things done because I'd been gone a little bit, tried to get all, like, letters at office signed and just all kinds of stuff like that and, and reply to things. But by the, the mid-afternoon, I mean, I just wasn't in shape to do anything. I just had that anointing on me, so I just... Uh, left office and I went home and, and I just started praying. I started seeking the Lord. I would walk around in my backyard, had a pretty big backyard then. I just walk around out there just praying and seeking God. So I went to bed that night and my wife kept asking me, what is it? Who is it? I said, I don't know. I said, I said but I know somebody's, somebody's going to die. I don't know who it is. And I said, somebody's close to death. So when I got up the next morning, it was on me so strong. I'm talking about being led by the Spirit of God and how, how the Holy Ghost will lead you into things, not just about death, but every area of your life. This is just an example of things. And so I, when I got up the next morning, I told my wife, I said, uh, we had some property out in Georgia. In fact, we still do up here in Georgia now. In fact, I'm going to check on it here in uh, probably Thursday on the way out, you know. But I got property out there, and I had a, a, a little cabin. And I told my wife, I said, I'm going out to the cabin, and I said, I'm going to fast and pray today. I said, because this is so strong on me. I said, I don't know if it's about us, you know, us immediately, or mama, daddy, somebody. I don't know what it is. So I got out there, and I started seeking God all day long. I started praying in the spirit because I didn't know how much to pray in the natural. I didn't, didn't know what to say. And every now and then I'd sit down and meditate on the scripture some and then I'd get back to praying in the spirit. And later that evening I said, Lord, I said, somehow I'm unable to pick up what you're telling me. I, I don't understand what it is. I said, uh, can you have someone give me the information so I'll know what I'm praying about? It wasn't just a few minutes after that, maybe 20 minutes, I got a phone call. And it was from... 
an individual over in South Carolina, actually in Charleston, South Carolina. And it was Pastor Danny Wallace. You remember Pastor Danny Wallace? Pastor Danny Wallace, it was his uh, daughter-in-law. They called me. said, Brother Randy, said, I know that you might not know this. And I said, know what? said, they put Pastor Danny Wallace in the hospital and the doctor just told the family here <clears throat> that he'll never come out of the hospital. He will not walk out of the hospital alive. He'd been attacked with sickness and disease, but he was a friend of mine. In fact, he was the one that I was telling you about that would go with me to meetings. And it seemed like that every time, I'm not saying every time, but almost every time he went with me to Brother Hagin's meetings, the Brother Hagin had prophesied to me and not to him. And remember, he told me the reason that happens because I was more goofed up than he was. And he was, he was right, of course. So it was him. And he, he had always had a positive confession. I knew he'd been attacked physically. I knew he was up against it. Cancer was in his body. But he had always gave me a good faith report. You know how y'all do. Y'all just lie to us and tell us everything's all right. And listen, I do know you need to keep a good faith confession. But when you've got a good friend, it's not wrong to confide in him. But he had basically just shut down. You know what I mean? Because your friends are not against you. They're for you. They're not going to look down on you. They're going to look up to you. And of course, all of us have been there in the test, in the trial. We know what it is, but, but for some reason, he just shut down. And he did not tell me the truth about what he was going through. And this stuff had spread through his body. And, and all this time, I thought he was, I mean, he's got it whooped. I mean, he's coming out of this thing, you know. It had a lot of miracles happening in his own ministry. So... I said, that's what I'm praying about. So I called my wife immediately and I said, I know who it is. I said, it's Pastor Danny. She said, no, how did you find out? I said, well, his daughter-in-law called me. In fact, the daughter-in-law was uh, Pastor Danny Griffin. You remember Danny Griffin? It was his daughter that called me, Sarah. She had married one of Danny's boys. And Sarah called me on the phone and I, I asked the Lord, let somebody call me. And the rest of the family, they were so distraught and praying for him that they didn't think about notifying nobody, you know. And so I went home and I grabbed my clothes and I knew for some reason I'd be over there for an extended time to get more than just a little bit of clothes and uh, had them call ahead and get me a hotel room because I knew it was in the hospital in Charleston. I'm talking about led by God and led by his spirit. And also I want to throw something in here too. You've got more authority in your life as to whether you live or die more so than you think so. You know, sometimes we have the misconception that the Lord took us. The Lord gives life. He don't take life. Your destiny is in your hands. So I got me some clothes and I took off over there. It's about a six-hour drive from Columbus, Georgia, to Charleston, South Carolina. So when I got to the hospital, I knew where he was at and I knew which room he was in because she had already told me all of this. I got that information. And I said, I'm on the way. I said, let, let his mama know, let his daddy know, and let Jason and Jeremy and all them know that, that I'm coming. That's his boys. I, I'm on the way, you know. I'd known them since they was knee-high to a grasshopper, jumping ditch with soda crackers. And of course, they'd done grown and got married now, you know. So I, I, I'm praying in the spirit the whole time I got there. I got to the hospital. Of course, the front doors are locked. You know, you can't get in. But any minister, preacher that's been to the hospital much knows you can get in the emergency room, you know, and go in that door. 
So I went down to the emergency room and I knew where he was at. So I went on in. Nobody said anything to me, you know. And I went on back in there. It ain't like it is today. And I got on the elevator and I went up, got on the floor. He was at third floor or something. And I walked down the hall to the found the room. And then when I got there, I tapped on, on the door. You know, I didn't know because it was early in the morning, about uh, 3 o'clock in the morning, I guess, 2.30, 3 o'clock. And the door opened and I looked and it was Jason Wallace's son. And I seen Pastor Danny laying on the bed. Well, when I walked in the room, his mama's there. She's hugging me. His wife is there. She's hugging me. You know, and thank you for coming. We, we didn't know you was going to. I said, I'm here. I'm here to help him. I said, I could just sense in the spirit something was going wrong and I didn't know what. And I've been praying. Well, I could tell just from being there for that moment, they was expecting me to pull a Smith Wigglesworth. You know what I mean? They was. I, I could just tell it. They was expecting. They had seen things happen in the ministry over the years, you know. And they expected me to grab him out of that bed and throw him against the wall and command him to live in the name of Jesus Christ. I mean, because he was not functioning. He couldn't talk to me. They had him on medication, you know. Now, I have grabbed a dead man before. And I'm not trying to be morbid, but I've had to. So you may not want my track record in that area. It was Fred Bullard. You remember Fred Bullard? He died. And when I found out he died, I knew he was on his way to hell. And I went to the hospital. It's a long story. I'm just shortening it for you here. I went to the hospital and went down there. And Aunt Rosie, y'all remember Aunt Rosie? She lived on Moy Road. Y'all remember Moy Road? She lived on Aunt, uh, Moy Road. And that was my daddy's sister. And I walked in. Of course, all the family lived around where Fred did. Fred was a good man, had a good heart, would do anything for anybody. But he just couldn't get over his drinking and all that stuff. You know, he, in, in fact... My, my brother, had uh, just a, a few weeks earlier, had been going by his house, and, and my brother was a preacher, and the Spirit of God told him, turn back and go talk to Fred. He said, I ain't going to talk to Fred. Fred's probably drinking, and all his brothers will be over there, and I, I don't do that no more, because he used to do that, you know, my brother did. But he said it was just under such, a, he knew it was God, so he went back. And sure enough, they were standing outside drinking and carousing, and he walked up, and when he did, they all hung their heads because they used to respect pre- preachers, you know. They quit their cussing and carrying on, hit all their beer and liquor, you know. Of course, they, he could see it sitting over there. But anyway, from the preacher. But uh, he started talking to Fred about Jesus. He was the only one he talked to. And he pleaded with him to accept Jesus. He said, I, I'm not against Jesus. He said, but I'm just not ready right now. One day, one day, people always think they got one more day. And that's what happened to Fred. What happened is the following Sunday, Fred fell dead. And when I got word, I rushed up to the hospital where they had taken him to. And uh, I got there and Aunt Rosie and Aunt Ophelia. Y'all remember Aunt Ophelia? You remember Aunt Rosie and Aunt Ophelia? They was daddy's two sisters, you know, because there was 10 in his family. So I said, Aunt Rosie, where did they take him? And there was Glenn and Starley. Y'all remember them? That was his brothers. And Tommy, y'all remember him? Y'all remember them? Yeah. But anyway... They seen me come in there, and of course they knew I was a preacher, and I didn't hang around them like I used to, because I used to be a drugger and alcoholer, but I didn't do that no more. And so they wondered where I was there, and I said to them, I said, where they got him at? They said, they already got him in the morgue down here somewhere, you know, not the, not the morgue, but the hospital morgue, you know, down there. And I said to my Aunt Rosie, I pulled her aside, because she's the one that seemed like they had the most sense out of all of them right there, because I've come to raise him up, you know what I mean? I don't know how y'all get me on these side journeys, but they help you. So she said, he's down there on one of them doors to the left, down that hall. I seen him push him in there. She's got tubes sticking out of his mouth and everything like that. 
And I said, okay. So I just went down the doors about where she pointed and I opened them up and looked and there'd be somebody in there and they wouldn't be breathing or nothing, but it wasn't the one I was looking for. So I went to another one and opened the door and I looked and there lay Fred. He was on this steel kind of table with a pipe sticking out of his mouth where they tried to resuscitate him and he wasn't breathing, he wasn't moving, he wasn't nothing. You know, it was real cold in the room. And I looked up and opened the door. There's a doctor standing there filling out a report I found out later. It was his death certificate. It's what it was. And uh, he said, what are you doing in here, sir? I said, I'm a member of the family. And I said, I'm a preacher. And I said, I'd like to pray for Mr. Bullard privately. He looked at me like I had lost my mind. (laughs) And he said to me, sir, Fred Bullard is dead. You need to pray for the living. And I said, sir, I said, because I was so concerned that he's going to go to hell, you know. I want to bring him back. And I just put up a little fuss with him, not arguing, but fuss. And he finally, he said, all right, all right, all right. Two minutes and I'm coming back in. So he walked out and pulled the door to, and I walked over where Fred was. He always wore bib overhauls. Y'all know what them are with the straps on them, them blue ones, you know. I reached down and grabbed them straps. And I said, Fred, in the name of Jesus, I command you to live. And I tried to pick him up, but rigor mortis had set in. And I'm not trying to, I'm just telling you how this stuff works. And he was stiff as a board. And he was heavy. And I couldn't pick him up. I said, I command you to live. He didn't say nothing. (laughs) I command you to live. He didn't say nothing. I said it one more time, but not near as bold. I command you to live. (laughs) And he didn't breathe. So I'm standing there. And tears, compassion came to my eyes. Because I knew Fred had rejected Jesus. I knew that this is not a game. And this is what the Lord told me. He said, leave him alone. He said, you're trying to make a decision for him that you can't make. He's already made his choice. He's already made his decision. And I sent a messenger to him a week ago. At that time, I didn't know my brother had went by there and talked to him. So my track record of raising the dead (laughs) hadn't been too good. So when they wanted me to throw Pastor Danny up against the wall like Smith Wigglesworth would, from experience, I knew that you had to be anointed before you grab somebody's overhaul straps. If you're going to grab them, you better know that there's an anointing there because this is not something you can do in your own strength and own ability. The reason Smith Wigglesworth could do that is because he was anointed to do it and the working of miracles and gift of faith and a lot of the gifts were operating through him in order to accomplish that. So that's why through experience you get wisdom and I didn't grab him and try to throw him against the wall. In fact, I didn't even pray for him. I stood there and I was kind of tired because I'd been praying and fasting all day and then drove six hours to get there and it's the middle of the night. And I, I prayed with them and I just prayed the Lord would comfort him and I said to him, I said, Miss Wallace, and I said, uh, I've got a hotel room right over here by the, by the uh, hospital. Of course, 
they all had wonderful homes, but they were far away from where the hospital was. And I said, uh, I'm going over there, and I need to get me some rest. I said, because I, if I don't get some rest, I said, I'm not going to be in shape to really pray for him like I should. I said, I'll be back early in the morning. So I went back to the hotel, uh, checked in, and got in the bed, and daylight the next morning, I got up, got through a good, brisk, cool shower, got my clothes on, and went back to the hospital. Of course, came in the front way this time, and went up, and when I got to his room, I just opened the door to walk in, and I looked, and the room was empty. I said, oh, my Lord. Oh, my Lord. He must have died. While I was, oh, what in the world did I go to the hotel for? I should have stayed here. And so the nurse's station was right across from where this room was. And so one of the nurses that was there at the station, she seen me looking around in that room. She said, sir, can I help you? I said, yes. I said, did Danny Wallace die? They said, oh, no, no, no. She said, who are you? I said, I'm a a preacher. And I said, I come, he's a friend of mine. She said, yeah, they told us that you was going to come back this morning said, we moved him into another room, the largest room we got on this floor so his immediate family can come in there and that's all we're going to allow to come in. So we, I went and they showed me and I, it was really just a door or two down. It was right on the corner of the hospital, the corner one side. So it was a large room, real large, one of the largest hospital rooms I'd ever seen. And so his immediate family, you know, his sons and his his daughter-in-laws and his wife and mom and daddy and, and all. And then, of course, they allowed me to go in there too. And I remember going in there and Pastor Danny was laying in the bed. Of course, he was sedated, but he could communicate. I walked up to him and I, I grabbed his hand and he heard my voice and he smiled. You know what I mean? Didn't open his eyes, but he smiled. I said, Pastor Danny, I heard you calling me in Alabama. I said, I've come to help you. I've come to help you, Brother Danny. We're going to get you up off this bed and you're going to walk out of here. The Holy Ghost knows everything about everybody. And I'm here to tell you there's a place in the spirit that you and I can walk and it belongs to you, not just in this situation, but any situation in your life. If you give yourself to prayer, God's going to meet you there in a supernatural way. So he had responded to me and by squeezing my hands and things like that, you know, and I said, we're going to pray. So we started praying. We got after it. I mean, he had taught his boys to pray, his daughter-in-law to pray. He was a faith guy. You know, he believed in it. He had started and founded a church. In fact, his church was right close to what they call Hell Hole Swamp in, uh, over there in, in, in uh, South Carolina. In fact, he used to make this statement. My church is the last people, uh, last church people see before they go to hell. <laughs> because this hellhole swamp is over there. Of course, he said it was joking, but it was the truth. There was a lot of hellions over there, I'll guarantee you. And so he had built a church there and carved a church out of that part of the country, I mean, where it couldn't be done. I mean, it was amazing. It was, in fact, a Word of Faith church. It was the only one there at the time, or what you'd call a Word of Faith like we believe, like you believe. So we got to praying. At 5 o'clock that evening, I'm just cutting a long story longer. And shorter. I can do it both ways. About five o'clock that evening, I lost him in the spirit. I had him. And a good way to describe this to you, because I was trying to think of a, a natural analogy or story that I could tell that would uh, coincide with the experience I was having spiritually. I don't know if you've ever been out in a boat. I'm, I'm sure you have. Most people have. But 
I've got a boat, inboard, outboard, ski boat. I've had this boat since 1999. It still looks brand new today. Just take care of it, you know. Pastor Edwin told me to take care of my stuff, and I do. Still runs like a brand new one, inboard, outboard, everything. But you could ski behind it, you know, and kneeboard. And my son was littler especially. We would go out, you know, and I would teach him how to water ski. Now, don't get me on those no more. We used to try to do trick skiing and and all that kind of stuff, but that just don't fit me no more. <laughs> Them things just don't float like they used to. <laughs> I don't know what happened, but they don't float like they used to. But anyway, like, it's like when my son would be getting back in the boat, you know, we got a ladder that comes down. You, you release this little latch, and the ladder will go down in the water, and you can step on that ladder and climb up. Well, you, you can reach out, and I'll be standing in the boat, and grab my son. Well, he'd be slick with river water. Because we're on the Chattahoochee River. Y'all know what river water is? Good slick stuff, you know. So and he'd be coming up in the boat, and sometimes he'd be so slick, and I'd have a real grip on him, but he'd be so slick, and I'd have his weight pulling him in there because he wasn't that heavy, you know, pulling him in the boat, but all of a sudden he'd be so slick, boom, he'd fall back in the water. You know, if you was pulling on somebody like that, and all of a sudden they fell back in the water, you could feel when you lost the weight of that person. Isn't that right? Well, it works the same way spiritually. I lost the weight, so to speak, of Pastor Danny Wallace. And I knew he was not helping me anymore. I just knew that by the Spirit. I'm talking about following the Holy Ghost, being led by the Spirit of God. And so what I'd done when I realized that had happened, it was exactly 5 o'clock that evening that that transpired, which would be, what, uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, when that, when that transpired. And I realized that I'm losing him. And I didn't know what to do. So I didn't tell his family. I didn't tell his sons. I didn't tell anybody that was in the room praying, the immediate family, because they all knew how to pray. I just walked out of there, walked out, I got in my car, drove to the hotel where I was at, got down on my hands and knees, turned on some instrumental worship music to help me, you know, a little bit, got in the spirit, and I started weeping and crying. And I said, Lord, you've got to tell me about Pastor Danny. And I started praying in the spirit. And as I began to pray, after about 20 minutes, this is what the Lord said to me while I was kneeling down. He said, according to divine destiny and based on present circumstances, Danny is going to die. I said, what, Lord? He said, according to divine destiny and based on present circumstances, Danny is going to die. And I said, Lord, I said, I know what present circumstances are. I know that he's got cancer in his body. I know that it's got into different organs in his body and it's shutting them down, but that's still not beyond you. I said, Lord, I know about the present circumstances, but that doesn't stop your word and your power from healing him and raising him up. I said, but Lord, I can understand that part that he's been attacked, but what do you mean by divine destiny? Because I didn't know what it meant. And, and you might receive it another way, and he might have said that the word to you differently than it did me, but that's what he told me, divine destiny. And this is what he told me. Divine destiny is the right of choice that he gives to every individual that is born in this earth. And immediately with that came the revelation of this. 
I've realized that God had never sent anybody to hell, nor would he ever. Now, don't take that out of context. This is what it is. If you go to hell, it will be against the will of God. God does not want you to go to hell. If you go to hell, it's because you reject Jesus Christ. Yes, he set those laws in motion, but he's not going around killing people and sending them to hell. God is a God of love, and he wants you to go to heaven. That's what he wants you to do. There is a real hell, and there is a real heaven. But I realized that, that people would go to heaven because they, because they made a choice to go to heaven, they go to heaven. So you made a choice that you want to go to heaven if you're a born-again Christian, and that's where you're headed. To be absent with the body is to be present with the Lord. But also, just the same way, you can reject the Lord Jesus Christ, and when you reject him, then you're setting yourself up to go to hell. And in a sense, God's not sending you there, even though he set that law in motion. You send in yourself there because you're not taking advantage of what God said do. Isn't that right? Do you understand that? So we don't want anything taken out of context. And he said this to me. He said, I want you to go back to the hospital and uh, tell his family something. I said, well, wait a minute, Lord, let's talk about this first. What do you want me to tell him? He said, well, you don't know, based on divine destiny because of the right of choice that I've given to your friend, Danny Wallace. He, he's, he has made the decision that he wants to come and be in heaven with me. And I couldn't believe that because he had always had a positive confession, always said, if I got breath in my body, I'm fighting. But sometimes you can just get tired, you know. And, and uh, he said he's made the decision and choice that he wants to come and be in heaven with me. And he said, now because he's made that choice and because of divine destiny, the right of choice that God gives to every human being, he said, that's why no amount of fasting and prayer will help him in his situation, nor will the gifts of my spirit go into operation for him because he's requested that it not be so. And I said, Lord, I've never heard of anything like that. He said, now, go back to the hospital and tell his family to release his spirit and let him come to heaven like he wants to. I said, Lord, I can't do that. I've been knowing his boys since they was babies. I mean babies. And I said, he's got some big babies and they love their daddy. And I said, you're going to be burying me if I go in there and tell them boys that their daddy, they need to let him go to heaven. I said, they're they're the Wallace clan. And I said, they may want to whoop me. Lord, I don't want to do that. Plus, I don't want to be the, the bearer of that kind of news. And he said, you said that you wanted to be used by me. He said, this goes with it. This is part of it. He said, and he reminded me of what Dad Hagen taught us. You remember what he taught us? He taught us about the, the gates of death and the jaws of death. Sometimes you can hold people here too long when really we should let them go on. And we're not trying to get rid of anybody. We love people. You know what I mean? We don't want anybody to go. You know, I've been hanging on to my mama for several years. Because why? I knew my family needed her. 
around her. She's the strong one of the family. And, and about uh, four or five years ago, the Lord said to me, tend to your mama. I said, Lord, what is it? He said, tend to her. He said, you've got some things to put into her that's going to help her live longer so it'll help your nieces and nephews. She had already had two children die. Her youngest son died. I preached his funeral, which is my brother. Her youngest daughter, Pam, Pamela Denise Greer, she died, and I preached her funeral. So they got kids that are going wayward. She said, but those kids, those grandkids, said, listen to your mama. And he said, you can help keep her around. You know what I mean? So he said, tend to her. So I started tending to her. I started contacting her, talking to her. In fact, when I'm at home, I talk to her twice a day, at least sometimes three times. I got her on the phone. Anytime she tries to make a negative confession, she catches herself. I know you said it, Mark eleven twenty three. I got it written down in my Bible. I got it written in my Bible. I know where it is. I know. I know it is. I wrote it in there. I know. I, I ain't gonna say that. I know. I, that's right, Mama. You ain't gonna say that. I said it says with long life will He satisfy you and show you His salvation. So I didn't want to go tell them at the hospital, and so I told the Lord. I said, Lord, do I have to go back tonight? He said, no. He said, you can wait till in the morning. He said, but you go back. So the next morning I got up early, you know, at daylight. And I walked, you know, got to my car, go over to the hospital, walked inside, got up to the room and walked in the door. When I walked in the door, his wife was standing kind of leaning against the wall like she was waiting on me because it wouldn't like me just to leave, you know. When I opened the door, she was standing right here to my right. Of course, the immediate family's there. And she said, what did the Lord say to you, Randy? What did the Lord say to you? I said, oh, I said, everything's going to be all right. I didn't say he was going to be all right. I was doing the political two-step. You know what I mean? Watching my words. Everything's going to be all right. She said, no. I know the Lord said something to you. I know you. She said, you would not have walked out of this hospital room last night like you did unless you know something. And she said, I believe I know something too. I said, okay. I said, Ginger, that's his wife's name. I said, Miss Ginger, I said, let's talk privately. Of course, his boys over there, they're looking. You you can see, oh, Lord, what's Brother Randy going to say? So we went out to the nurse's station and asked, could we sit there, you know, and, and talk? They said, sure, sit, sit right back there at that desk, you know. And so I began to, to tell her what the Lord had said to me. And I'm not going to cover the whole story because it would take longer. I told her what the Lord said, and then she broke down crying. And she said, I've been sensing that too. He said, but I didn't want to say nothing from my, to my boys and my daughter-in-laws and nothing, you know. He said, but I've been sensing that. And so now since you said that, she said, you know, he always made a positive confession, basically. She said, but about a year ago, we were sitting in, in the, our den, and one of his uh, pastimes is he liked to watch gun smoke and have popcorn and drink a Coca-Cola. 
You know what I mean? That was the height of his excitement, you know. He liked to try to outdraw Matt Dillon. Oh, y'all heard about that fella that drew on Matt Dillon and shot his TV screen, didn't you? <laughs> With a shotgun. Boom! <laughs> Trying to outdraw him. So she said they were sitting there in the living room and she'd made some popcorn, you know, and, and, and brought him a, a cold Coca-Cola in the bottle. He liked the real one in the bottle. Y'all, anybody remember the bottles? <laughs> brought him in the bottles like he liked it. And he was sitting there. And things were quiet. It's about a year earlier. And she said, this is what he said. He said, Ginger? She said, yes, Danny, what is it? He said, uh, when I die, I want Randy to preach my funeral. She said, Danny, don't be. You're not going to die. What are you talking about? And then, you know, they went back and forth. And he didn't say anything else about it. Three weeks before he went to the hospital. She said they would be sitting there in their home, either living room or den somewhere. And he would say this. Say, Ginger, that's his wife. He'd say, do you see that man standing over there? And she would look and say, Danny, there ain't no man standing over there. He said, yes, there is. He said, you see that man standing over there? She said, Danny... There ain't nobody standing over there. He said, yes, there is, Ginger. She said, who is it? Who is it? He said, they're angels. And he said, they're waiting on me. You know, the angels of God escort us out of here. I'm not, I don't know why I'm saying this. We're not getting up low tonight, are we? <laughs> But God, heaven is real. These things are real. The Spirit of God is real. So we talked about it. And as we sat there and talked about it, she could see that for over a year, he had been giving her little nuggets of information. He had set things in order. In fact, when he passed away, she would become a millionaire, over a millionaire. You know what I mean? So, and we look back and she wondered why he was doing all this stuff. Why is all this, you know, going on? And then we, she said, now you got to go in there and tell my boys. I said, oh, Ginger, I don't want to tell them. I don't want to tell them, but I knew the Lord had said. So we got inside the room and Ginger, his wife, said, Brother Randy has heard from the Lord and I want you to listen to him. And, I, and they, they was looking at me. You could tell, oh boy, they didn't want to hear this. I could just tell it. And I said, where's Mr. Bobby? I called him Mr. Bobby. That's Danny's daddy. I knew him well too. And Miss Wallace, his mama, is what I called her. And uh, she was already in the room. I said, would somebody go get Mr. Bobby? So Jeremy, that's the second to the oldest son, he shot out of the room. He said, he's, he's downstairs. I noticed he would never come in there and pray with us. You know, you couldn't accuse him of being real spiritual, but he, he knew how to pray, you know. But he never would. So anyway, they went and got him, and he walked in. And he come in and stood beside Miss Wallace, his wife, Mr. Bobby did, and he just kind of hung his head. And Ginger said, now listen to what Brother Andy said, is saying. And I told him what the Lord said. 
that Pastor Danny has made a decision to go and be with Jesus. And the Lord told me to come tell you it would be better if you release his spirit and let him go than it would be to hang on to him. You know, let him go. When I said that, Mr. Bobby, his daddy, let out this curling, curdling scream. I knew he was going to die. I knew he was going to die. That was his daddy. And he come tearing out of that room, you know, and kind of jogging down the hospital room. And I told him, I'll be right back. So I took off. And I fell in there behind him. I finally got up to him. He was real strong, man. Not real big, but he was strong, you know. And I finally got a hope to him. And he wouldn't want to cry or shed a tear or nothing, but he just broke down in that hall of that hospital. You could imagine, you know. So, and I hugged him and talked to him and told him about it. He said, I knew it. I didn't, I didn't want it to happen, but I, did, I just kept, that's why I couldn't come and pray. That's when I found out why he wasn't there. He said, I, I just sensed he was going to die. So we, I got him back to the hospital room, got inside, and then, of course, the protesting started. This is saying, no, we ain't going to do this. I mean, we ain't letting Daddy go. We, we, you know, and I said, I agree. I said, if you want to stay here, I said, I'll stay right here with you. I said, I don't care. I'm not trying to force you into doing anything. So that went on for about an hour, you know, for everybody's emotions calmed down. Because when you're facing death and sending somebody out like that, you know, it, it's tough on you emotionally. And especially real close family. And so they finally decided, okay, this would be the best thing for daddy and probably the best thing for us if we don't drag it out, you know. And they said, but we don't know how to do it. We don't know how to let him go. I said, well, come on, let's gather around the bed. I had experience along these lines with some family members of mine. So we got around the bed. And what I did, I said, Brother Danny, I said, I love you. I said, I know you called me in the spirit, and I know you told me to take care of your boys. I said, I'm going to watch after them. I said, they're going to grow up to be stalwart Christians, just like you trained them to be. By this time, I'm squalling, you know. And everybody in there is, you know. Because I don't want to see him go. And I started telling him how much I loved him and how much I appreciated him and, you know, and how much I, I, I thanked him for helping me because he'd helped me a lot in my own personal life and ministry and helped me grow and develop, you know, over the years. And I thanked him for all that. And when I did, then it seemed to come easier for them to know what to say. And so this one stepped up, and this one stepped up, and this one stepped up. There's a lot of tears shed, a lot of emotions going on in the room. A lot of love pouring forth, you know, but they're all talking to him. Then finally it got back to Miss Wallace. Mr. Bobby Wallace let him go. Now that was hard to do. He grabbed him and hugged him and everything. It was his daddy, you know. Grabbed him and hugged him. And of course, Danny's basically unresponsive by then. But when it come time for his mama, Miss Wallace, she's standing right across from me. Uh, she looked up at me. And I could see anger in her eyes. And she said, looking at me, she said, you know I love you. Almost like I loved him because I was close to that family. She said, but that's my baby and I am not going to let him go. I said, okay, Miss Wallace, you don't have to let him go. There's no pressure and there's not. You shouldn't force people in these things. 
but she let them make the decision. She said, I'm not going to let him go. And I said, okay. And so she said a few more words, and you could tell she was angry at me. She was just angry at the whole situation, but I knew she really wasn't. It was just an emotional experience she was having. So it kind of dispersed, and everybody sat down in chairs, and then the next thing I know is Miss Wallace got her pocketbooks. First time she left this room since I'd been to the hospital. She got her pocketbook, got her sweater, and left. Oh, we didn't know where she went. The next morning, she come back. Because this is early in the morning when this all happened, you know, before lunch. The next morning, she come back. You could see her eyes were swollen, like she hadn't had a lot of sleep. But she walked in, she threw both arms around my neck, started crying. She said, the Lord told me to let my baby go. Will you help me? I said, yes, Miss Wallace. I'll help you. I'll stand right here with you. I said, where's Mr. Bobby? She said, he's down yonder. I said to Jeremy, go get Mr. Bobby. Because I knew it's not going to be long that he's going to be gone when Mama releases him. She was holding on to him. We got more authority than we think we do. So she stood there. She talked to him, I don't know, probably 30 to 45 minutes, maybe even to an hour. You know, just tell him everything a mama would tell her baby, you know. And even though he was big as a bull elephant, that's still her baby. (laughs) And when she released him and let him go, and uh, it was probably, and we were standing around there, I had turned around to sit down in a chair because I'd been standing for a long time and I was going to get off my legs, you know, and feet. And then, I don't know if it was Sarah or or one of his other daughter-in-laws, let out a gasp. And when I turned to look, he was drawing his last breath, and he went to heaven. Now, the thing about it is, and what I want to point out to you, is God knew all that was going to happen. God knew what was going to transpire and take place. God knew how to position us in the place to help him to make the transition to where he wanted to go. Now, I know I've been talking about this particular thing, about death and about him going that way, but God also helps us in life. God will help you in every area of your life. He knows what's going to happen before it happens. And if you'll begin to seek God and spend some time in prayer, and there's no condemnation, but just begin to seek God, He'll begin to lead you. He'll begin to guide you. He'll begin to show you things to come. And you can pray out things about your future. And a lot of the problems that you look that that would be ahead of you will dissipate and disappear. And you'll find out that a lot of things that have been clinging to you and holding on to you and seem like they're holding you back, you'll find them just melting like a butter in a hot oven. I'm here to tell you God's glory and God's spirit will lift that stuff off of you and you'll walk into a place of his glory in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy that endures forever and ever and ever. Now, Lord, this is a little different than what I thought it was going to be tonight. But Lord, it just seemed to take us this way by the spirit of the living God. Lord, you begin to lead us. You begin to guide us. You begin to direct us. You begin to show us some things. 
And Father, we're yielding to you. And Father, I thank you. Even as the Spirit of God settled upon us tonight and people grasp it, they begin to understand it. I thank you that you'll lead them and guide them. Why don't you stand to your feet? I know you've been sitting a while. I appreciate that. I didn't, I didn't mean to go so long. You kept listening and I kept going. But I'd like for us to end this service with a faith confession. Is that all right? Is that all right to do that? Just let your heart agree with it and say this. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I present myself to you. And I ask you to lead me, to guide me, and direct me by your Spirit. When you call me into a place of prayer, I will answer. I will pay attention. I will yield to you. And I ask you tonight to lead me, to guide me, and direct my paths into your perfect will. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you that you're giving me a solution to every situation. That you're answering every question. And you're leading me into a place of victory. In every area of my life, business, ministry, our family. And I thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.